All right, Claire. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. And I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you. Somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to K2. Uh, yeah, so I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving weekend, lots of turkey, friends and family, and the Utah football game, right? Utah's moving to the top five. Come on. Yeah, what a great weekend. Uh, you know, we, I, I'm excited to be with you here this morning. We are in the final week of a series on prayer, and uh, we're, we, we've looked at this passage in, Prover- in Proverbs uh, chapters 3, verse 5 and 6, and we're sort of talking about prayer from that context. In, in the, the passage, you all know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths, or he'll make your path straight. The one I really like is he'll tell you which path to take. I think that's, that's really awesome. And uh, in, in the previous weeks, we've talked about aligning our heart and our thoughts with God. We've talked about being able to trust him. We've talked about being able to ask him. Today, we're going to flip the angle that, uh, of prayer and look, look at it a little differently. Uh, we love the part where we get to ask God for things, but that's really one-sided. And so today, what we want to do is we want to look at the fact that prayer is not just us talking to God, but God talking back to us. And uh, last week, uh, during, you know, we just watched this really cool video with the guy with the, you know, British accent, and if, just as a note, if you want to sound intelligent, talk British, apparently. And, uh, but he, there are two quotes in there that really, last week, as Dave was coming up and we're playing this video, I saw this, and these two quotes just jumped out at me. The first is, he says, prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. And I believe that that is true because I believe prayer is the mechanism through which we get to talk to the God of the universe and ask him for things and lay our needs in front of him and tell him what we desire. But it's not only that. It's also the God of the universe communicating back to us, ask, telling us what he'd like to see in us and through us and, and, and from us. So it's a, great, it's a conversation. The second quote that really hit me, and this one caused me pause, he says this, you'd rather God whisper a secret in your heart that breaks you than someone give you the prizes that all the world covets. And when I heard that, I had to stop for a second because I had to ask myself, and I think you probably should ask yourself this too, do you really, would you really rather hear God whisper a secret that breaks you than have all the prizes that the world covets. And the reason I think we should ask ourselves this question is when I examine my prayer life, I find that my time asking God for things is disproportionate to my desire to hear from him. I so often will go to prayer and spend very little, sometimes no time listening, and spend most of the time, sometimes all of my time, talking. 
And the thing that's interesting, you know, we're all smart people here, right? We get this in, like, in, in relationship and in our interactions and in our conversations with each other. We all want to be heard, right? Everyone wants to be heard. And you, you've had that conversation with the person, you know, where they, you know, they don't pause to take a breath. They don't pause. They, they never stop to ask you a question. They don't ask your opinion. They, they, don't, they don't see how you're doing. Uh, and they you know, sort of go on and on about themselves and how great life is or how terrible life is or what they need or what they want or what just happened, right? And then all of a sudden, conversation done, right? And you, you all have this person in your life, you know, the phone rings and you're like, hmm, am I going to answer this? And if you don't have that person in your life, here's a little warning, it's you, okay? <laughs> so, so this message is for you. If, that, if you don't have that person in your life, you should really listen today. But prayer is a conversation, and if it's a conversation, both sides are talking and listening. And so it, uh, Martin Luther says it this way. I love this quote. He says, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. So here's a guy who had really dialed into the fact that our prayer should not just be about us talking and asking, but actually God wants to talk back to us. So I'm sure you've probably seen this already, but I, saw, I, I just thought of this video as I was prepping this week, and I, think, I thought to myself, I can't think of a better example of how so often our prayer life looks. So take a look at this. Like, I'm, listen to me, listen to me. Like, like I do this all the time, and if I go out at the, at the house or the door, Matthew has his toys, and then Matthew has all his toys. Okay. But I have to yell at you guys. Okay, what? Like everything they do at this house, it can touch everything at Grandma's house. Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. Linda, but listen to me. Look at if we do something, if you get that out that bird thing off, you're gonna break it. Okay, but I'm asking, I'm letting you know but that you cannot no, Linda, no Linda, I'm lick it, lick it. You're not listening to me. Linda, listen to me now. Lick it, lick listen to me listen now. To, listen to no, me. you're not listening. I said no cupcakes and you try to get cupcakes and you try to ask grandma. Linda, Didn't you? Linda, lick it, lick it, lick it. If we do something without this, if we, if we get close up, you can't even get them. You're going to burn your butt. What's going to burn your butt? Go. You and Kevin don't listen, so I have to give both of you guys pop pals in your butt. But Linda, but Grandpa's but going to give me pop pals in your butt. No, he's not. Yeah. I have to, you, want, you don't want me to hit Kevin, or you don't want me to spank you? No. Why? Because anybody wants to spank me. Then I have to spank Kevin. But he's my little pop He's your little pop ups, but he doesn't listen. But Linda, honey, honey, look at, look at this. Right now, you can't do anything if we can't get everything out of the wall. If we're going to break everything down. I'm not breaking anything down. I'm just letting you know Linda, you cannot it, have it, cupcakes it, for dinner. It, Linda. Linda, like this thing, I never belong to you. Anything, you can't get anything and anything and anything. I'm done arguing with you. I'm done arguing with you. You need to listen to the things that I say because I'm the mom and I'm the Linda, adult. Linda, look at, listen to me. All the time to get them the, the, this thing, this, this, this thing, the, 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 the,
I'm done arguing with you. Linda, I'm done arguing with you. First of all, that kid's super cute, but oh boy. And that mom is a saint, I think, too. See, I, I think that our prayers look like this a lot of time. We spend all of our time just trying so desperately to have, make sure God hears us, right? And we, we, we don't even, we're so worried that he doesn't hear us that we don't stop talking, right? And so I call this the, the, the cupcake prayer. And, and, and it illustrates, I think, the reason I show you this is because I think it illustrates that we have this deep desire to receive the prizes that all the world covets more than have God whisper something that breaks us. And uh, in order to, to hear what God wants from us, we have to listen to him. And so uh, it's critical for us to understand how we can hear from him. And so what I want to do today is I want to do three things. I want to just look at a story that we find in the book of Acts in just a second. And then I want to talk about four things that we may be doing that are problematic in terms of how we think about prayer. Four problems that may make it hard for us to hear from God. And then I just want to look at some guideposts for us as we're praying. If you want to hear from God, how could you know it's God? Because if it's not God, it's either you or not good. Let's just say that, okay? And so we're going to look at the guideposts and understand, are we really hearing from God, okay? And the story is the story of, uh, of, of Peter in, in the New Testament. It picks up in Acts chapter 10. And just uh, as a way of teaching, I, I always like to say this, when you're reading the Bible, it's very important that you understand the context. This book, Acts, is the story of the founding of the church. It, it starts around, it, it accounts for like 30, about 30 AD until about 62 when it was written. And what happened in 30 AD? Jesus died, right? And so, and he resurrected into heaven, and then the, the, the disciples and apostles take over and they start leading the church. The first 12 chapters are about Peter, and it ends after he realizes his vision and his calling to preach to the Gentiles, really significant, and we're going to talk about that. And then the last, uh, starting verse 13, or chapter 13, it's the story of Paul and planting churches around the Mediterranean. And about, probably about half of the New Testament was written before Acts, so you see the accounting. You'll see cross-references from, from when he's on a missionary journey, writing these letters. You can find all, a lot of that in the book of Acts. So here's what happens. It's the story of these two guys, Cornelius... And Peter. Now, they sort of have these simultaneous experiences. And what's happening is Cornelius, we're told he's a devout man. He's a follower or a, uh, he's, he's uh, a captain in the town regiment. He's a devout man. And so is his house. He fears the God of Israel, which is important because he's a Gentile. And uh, he leads his house in that way as well. And it, we're told that he gives generously to charity and that he prayed regularly. And one day at three o'clock to be exact, it says he is praying and he has this vision where he feels an angel appears to him in this vision and says, you need to send some people to go find this guy named Peter. And he's staying at the house of Simon in Joppa, which is about, he's in uh, Caesarea and Joppa is probably about 35-ish miles away. So and then the angel goes away and it says, as soon as the angel left, he went and he got three guys and he says, go find Peter. That's the first half. Now, the second half is that simultaneously, or actually the next day, Peter is at Simon's house and he's hungry because it's noon. And so he, go, he decides to go up on this roof and pray, okay? And just a couple things you should know. Uh, one, if you pray, 
when you're hungry, crazy stuff will happen, because this is what happens for Peter, and then never go to Costco and shop when you're hungry, because you'll come home with a ton of stuff you don't eat. So just practical tips for you. Anyway, so he goes up on the roof, and as he's praying, he has this experience where a sheet comes down from heaven in his vision, and it's full of reptiles and birds and animals that are all forbidden by Jewish law to eat. They're, they're, they're unclean. And so he sees this, and he hears this voice in the vision that says, hey, kill those and eat them. And he says, no way. I can't do that. This is all unclean stuff. And then he hears the voice of God saying, hey, if I say it's clean, don't tell me it's not. Then the sheet comes down. This happens three times. And after the third time, the sheet goes away, and he hears the Holy Spirit say, hey, there's three guys that are waiting to meet you at the gate. So he goes down. He meets these guys, and they say, come back to meet uh, Cornelius. So he's heard that the Spirit's telling him to go, so he goes with these guys. He goes back to Cornelius' house. He enters the house, who is, again, he's Gentile. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. And he goes with him, and he preaches the gospel, and we're told that the Spirit falls. Look at this verse. It says, uh, and he ordered each of us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell and all who were listening to the message. So what happens in this time? Peter goes because the Spirit tells him to because he's in prayer seeking to hear what God wants him to do. And he goes, he preaches, and the Gentiles receive Christ. This is like epically significant because this is the very moment where people realize the gospel of Jesus Christ is no longer just for the Jews. It's for everyone. You and me, most of us in this room, had this not ever happened, would still be outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This only happened, why? Because Peter was praying and listening to God, and Cornelius was praying and listening to God. And let me just ask you, how many of you would like the life where when you prayed about something, God revealed himself and it changed the world? Anyone in here wish you had that? Well, let me just tell you this. If you don't listen, it's not going to happen. And so what I want to do is just talk about some things that I think are pretty important for us to understand, like misconceptions, and, and look at how these things played out in the life of Cornelius and Peter in this little episode that we just looked at. And these are false or bad thoughts that we have. If you, uh, if you have your program, you can write them in there, your notes in the app. And the first is this. Prayer is not a substitute for doing something. Now, what you notice with both Cornelius and Peter it wasn't like, I'm going to pray so I don't have to do anything. They were actually praying to understand what they should do, right? James 2 says it this way. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? It's a rhetorical question. None is the answer, right? And in the same way that God is not interested in one-sided prayer conversations with us, he's also not interested in doing all the lifting. We're told that we were created in Christ for good works, not to earn salvation, but after we receive Christ, he has good works appointed for us to do. And the only way we're going to know how to do those is by listening. But he goes on, this is, this is uh, in Isaiah, he says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here I am, send me. He said, go and tell the people. And the question we have to ask ourselves, is this our response 
when God asks us to do something, are we like, I'm here, send me? And if I'm very honest, too often I'm not that. I start to argue with God. I don't like, can you, are there other options available? I don't, I don't really want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. It's going to be a lot of work. But prayer, when we pray and God speaks to us, we need to understand that that's God's way of telling us what to do, and he doesn't expect us to not do it. Second thing that's a misconception is this. Prayer is not God giving us options to eventually consider. You see this with your kids, right? Like your kids' chore time or whatever in your house. Um, and you're like, okay, guys, get up off the couch, turn the TV off, and uh, it's, we're going to do our chores. And then you go do something, you come back 20 minutes, they're still sitting there. <laughs> and you're like, um, wait a second. Erwin McManus has this term. It's, he, he says, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And what we need to understand is that when we pray, God isn't throwing out suggestions for us to say, ah, yes, no, it's not a buffet. And there may be things that we can choose, you know, in our life that God isn't really concerned whether we have the hamburger or the cheeseburger. But in those moments when God is talking to us, he's telling us what he desires from us. And if we don't do it when he asks us, we're in disobedience until we do it. And uh, uh, Psalm 119 says it this way, without delay, I hurry to obey your commandments. James 4 says, the man who knows what to do and doesn't do it is in sin. And so it's really important when we hear God, if we take the time to hear from God and we don't do what he says, we need to understand we're not being obedient to him. The third thing we need to understand is this, that prayer is not simply us talking the entire time, right? Now, I, I wish I had time to tell you the story of Samuel. Samuel, well, I'll tell you really quickly. Samuel's this guy, and he, he was a helper in the, in the temple, and he was a helper for Eli. Eli's older and getting blind, and so he was sort of like an assistant for him. And one night he hears, he hears Samuel, so he, he, he runs into Eli's room, and this happens a few times, and, and, and Eli's like, I didn't call you. And this happens a few times, and eventually when, when, when he hears the voice calling him, he says, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And God lays some pretty heavy stuff on him to do. <laughs> but you see, he took the time. He wasn't talking. He was actually listening. And he was seeking to hear what God wanted for, from him. I, I heard this story um, back uh, before we had refrigeration. They would build these ice houses. And they put straw on the, you know, the floor. And they would cut big chunks of ice from the lake. And they'd bring the ice to the ice house. And then people come, could come get ice to use to keep their food, you know, from spoiling and, and whatever. And so one day they're, they're doing this, and one of the guys that's bringing the ice in lost his watch. And so all of the guys decide they're going to tear the place apart to find the watch. And they tear it apart, and they're looking everywhere and looking and looking and looking, and they can't find it, and they finally give up. And they say, forget it, we're going to go. And then, so they all leave, and this little boy goes in. Within a couple minutes, he comes out with the watch. And they're, they're like, how did you find the watch? He said, oh, it was really easy. I just laid down in the hay, got really quiet, and listened. Eventually, I could hear it ticking. Then I knew right where the watch was. Now, you realize how hard it is to hear someone talking when you're talking. And if we don't still ourselves when we're in our time with prayer and ask God what he wants to say to us, we're going to miss a lot of what he has to say. The fourth is this, and this is 
pretty interesting that I think too often we approach God as a genie in the bottle. God is not a genie in the bottle. Prayer is not our genie in the bottle. It's actually the GPS for our day, for our life. C.S. Lewis says it this way. I love this. I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. And this part just is so beautiful. It doesn't change God. It changes me. It changes me. What does that mean? It means God speaks to me and I act differently. One of the things we need to understand about the genie in the bottle approach that we all too often have is that just as a a caution to you or something you should understand, that when you have sin in your life, when you're doing stuff you're not supposed to be doing, it will be excessively difficult for you to hear God. Right? Look at look at this passage again. This is in Psalm chapter 66. It says this, Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin of my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. So this is a few years back. This is probably in the first couple of years of K2's existence. I remember after a service, I was leading worship that day, and uh, Dave was speaking, we got done, and I, I looked out, and there was this girl, we'll call her Mary, that's not her name, but her, we'll call her Mary for the story, and she was standing over here, and she is just standing motionless and just sobbing, and so I thought, well, I should go see what's going on, so I walk over to her, and I knew her a little bit, and I said, hey, Mary, what's going on, and she said, I don't Mike, it's just crazy. I come to church every Sunday, and I just feel the Spirit so thick, and then, and then it's just so powerful in my life, and then I, I go home, and I just, it's like the Spirit stays here, and I can't feel him. I don't know what to do. I can't, I, 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 and then I come back the next week, and I feel him, and this is going on and on. So I said, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in your life, and we, she starts sharing some stuff, and eventually she comes to a point where she says, well, I'm dating a guy that's married. And I said to her, Mary, I want to tell you this, and I want you to hear this with all grace. You don't need to hear any more from God yet. He's already telling you, you need to deal with that. Do you want to do that? And she said, yeah. And I said, let's do this today. And so she leaves, and I don't see her for three or four months, and she shows back up at church, and I'm leading worship, and I look over here after the service, and Mary's standing there, and she's sobbing, and I walk over to her, and I say, Mary, what's going on? She said, I still am not hearing from God. I feel like I can't experience him. I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, so remember that stuff we talked about? And she says, yeah. I'm like, how, how are you with that? And she said, still doing it. I said, Mary, don't expect new revelation. Why should God give you more stuff until you do something with what he's already putting in front of you? And for many of us, if you want to hear God, one of the first things he's going to say to us is, hey, this isn't okay, let's deal with that, right? And we want this epic, life-changing, go give the gospel to the Gentiles, move to Africa moment, and God is just saying, hey, you got some stuff you want to you look at that and deal with that. So understand that when we're praying to God, it's a GPS for our life, not this fix-it-all genie, okay? So the question arises in our prayer time then, how do we know that we're actually hearing from God. 
And I want to give you, it's a lot. Again, this is in your notes if you want to write this down. But I want to give you 10 guideposts. This is not a complete list. I'm sure there are other things. A lot of this is taken from this guy. His name is Charles Stanley. He's just been a preacher for like 40 or 50 years. Amazing stuff. It's not all from him, but a lot of it is. And so here are some guideposts that I want you to, to be able to say, hey, I feel like God might be asking me to do this. How can I know? So the first is this. Ask yourself these questions. Is this decision consistent with God's word? So implicit in that question is what? You're reading God's word. And we did this a few weeks ago where we talked and Dave, you remember this? We led you through a soap time, scripture, observation, application, and and, and, uh, prayer. And so this is a great way to hear God's voice. It's a very structured way. But even in those moments outside of a structured prayer time, when you have a decision in front of you trying to make, if it does not align with God's word, he's very clear on moral character and so many things, you can know. No, if this is not in agreement with God's word, then you're probably not hearing God's voice in this. The second thing is this. Is it a wise choice? This is really simple. And again, I'm just being practical with you here. And so often, you know, we tell our kids, uh, good consequence comes from a... Good choice. Bad choice is bad consequence. But we forget this as adults, don't we? And so just the better part of wisdom says this. Is this going to give me a good consequence? Because if not, it's probably not a good choice. It's not one that God wants from me. But not only with ourselves, you think about this. Is this going to produce a good consequence with others? You know, I really want to do this, but this is really going to hurt my wife. It's not God asking you to do that. I really want to do this, but that means if I buy this, I'm not going to be able to do this for my kids. That's not God's voice. That's not God's voice. The third thing is, what does it do for the kingdom of God? You can rest assured if you think God is asking you to do something that is going to be damaging to God's name and kingdom, then you are not hearing clearly. So it's really important that we make wise choices. Here's the third thing. Can I honestly ask God to enable me to achieve this decision? And here's a really subtle twist on this. So often, I found this in my life, that what I do is I don't seek God's will for my life. I invite God to come in and bless my will for my life. And I think when you're praying before God, the best thing you can do is seek him because if he reveals this to you, then you can honestly ask, is this your will for me? Well, you already know the answer if you feel like he's revealing it to you. But if it's your plan, you have to ask yourself, why is this my plan? You know, I'll tell you, this is embarrassing. I pray about this sometimes, not very often. It's been a while. I'm like, God, make me rich. And here's why, because I want to give all this stuff away at Christmas. And I really mean that. I'd love to go around and just be like, you know, you know dropping cars on people's lawns and, you know, buying houses or whatever. I don't know what I would do. But anyway, but that hasn't happened. But you know what the reality is? There's so much that God is asking me to do that I'm not doing. Why do I need that one? Well, that's because it's my plan, not God's. Uh, fourth... Do I have genuine peace about this decision? So often we make decisions for ourselves, for our families, business, whatever, that drive us into these anxious moments. And if, you're, if, if your decisions are, pro, 
you know, causing anxiety in your life, I think you should consider whether you're actually hearing from God or the voice is your own. The fifth, does this idea fit God's overall plan for my life? And this is in the big and the small. You think about this, specifically, many of you feel like, man, God is totally asking me to do this in my life. I'm very clear on that. I know I'm supposed to do this thing. Then all of the decisions you make should be in alignment with that. You know, I want to be a pastor, but I'm doing this thing that's not very pastoral. Maybe I need to stop this. But it also just in terms of your call in being a follower of Jesus. If what you're doing, what you believe God is asking of you is not in alignment with your call as a believer, then again, it's not, it's not God. The sixth is, will this decision honor God? And the simple question is this, does this move God's kingdom forward or not? If this runs counter to God's kingdom, then it's probably not his will. It's, no, it's not his will. It's not what he's saying to you. And we should be living in this state where it's thy everything, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I was going to say this too. I, so I think that maybe a perspective that's really helpful, and this is something that over time, uh, Susie and I, my wife and I, we, we, we sort of come to understand the Bible is not like a helpful, you know, uh, you know little guy, book that we can refer to when we have tough decisions. The Bible is the way we make decisions. That's how we make decisions, through prayer and understanding God's word. So make that the center of your, of your decision-making, not, you know, not just something you use. So, uh, so will this decision honor God? We should have this thy kingdom come, thy will be done mentality as we're making choices. The seventh is this. Will this choice result in unrest and regret for the rest of my life? Oh, I see this so often in my counseling time with people. They think things like, oh, but he's worth it. Or she's worth it, y'all. You know, if I don't do that, they, I'm going to lose them. And it leads to this long road of regret. You know, I'm going to save myself for marriage, but if I don't do this, I think I might lose the relationship. And then they end up doing that, and they realize, oh, I made a mistake, and they live with regret. God is not going to lead you into regret. Eighth, can I expect God to reward me for this decision? And we get this. You, you turn in work, you know, when you're in college or high school, junior high, what, you turn in your work, and sometimes you go, I hope the professor just lets this slide and gives me a good grade. And you know he's not going to. <laughs> Neither is God. Right? And it's real simple. Do you feel like what you believe God is asking you to do is worthy of a reward? If not, then you should think about it. The ninth is this, do I have sin abiding in my life? We've already talked about this. It's going to be really difficult to hear clearly if God is speaking to you and you have sin or something that's in your life. And again, we talked about sin before, right? Sin is just something that's keeping you from being in community with God. It's keeping you separated from him. It's an action that's not what he wants, right? And then the final one is this, and this may be one of the most important have I sought the wise counsel of my friends who love Jesus? I want to tell you this. If you are making life decisions, even important decisions, not life decisions, and you're making them in a vacuum without the input of those around you, you're treading on thin ice. Specifically in life issues, for sure. 
But you need to make sure that the people that you're surrounding yourself, so you may, it's very easy for us to go, I can easily find 10 people who will support the decision I want to make. But what I need to do is find people who, uh, Dave Nelson says this all the time, it's so great. I want to find people who love me but love Jesus more. You know why? Because those people will tell me the truth when I'm asking them, I think God's asking me to do this. No, there's, he's not asking you that. Trust me, he's not asking you that. So find people who love you but love Jesus more. So here's what I want to do. We're going to have the band come up. We're going to transition into a time of uh, musical worship, and we're also going to take communion. And I think a framework for us to understand that's really, really important to get our brains wrapped around is, is William Barclay says these three things we should remember when we pray. Remember that the love of God wants the best for us. That's back to our message on trust. The love of God wants the best for us. The wisdom of God knows what is best for us. And the power of God can accomplish it. He knows what's best. He wants what's best, and he can accomplish it. So here's what we're going to do. We have seven stations for communion. There are two here, one back there, and then there's, there are four different communion stations. And you're going to take communion on your own today. You just go to whatever station is the most convenient to where you're seated. And here's what I want to ask you. Anytime we learn something about God... Again, even in this moment, we should be asking us, God, what do you want me to do with this? What are you asking of me? And so I'm going to ask you that right in this very minute. What, are, what is God saying to you? Is there some decision you're trying to make? Is there something you feel God might be saying to you? Something he might be asking of you? Something you might want to do through you even. I just want you to ask God that. And I want you to think about this. This communion is such a beautiful thing. You, You understand that our relationship with Christ hinges on his death and resurrection that he did on our behalf. And even in that moment, what Jesus did, and this is so cool to me. In the final moments before he gave his life on our behalf, he said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I don't want to do this. I'm going to tell you what I want, God. I'm going to ask something of you. But it doesn't stop there. Yet, I want your will to be done not mine. Your will to be done, not mine. See, Jesus, the greatest example, demonstrated what it means to be in community with God and be in communion with him and hear from him and follow him and ask of him. And so we have an opportunity as you're sitting here, the band is going to play for a few minutes and then just on your own, you can go take partake of the communion head back to your seats and we're just going to continue worshiping this great God who 
wants to be in conversation with every one of us. Let's pray. Lord, you, uh, you know what's best for us. You want what's best for us. And you can accomplish it in us and through us and around us, in spite of us a lot of the time. But as a congregation, we come to you and say, lead us, guide us, let us quiet our voices, let us open our ears, let's listen for the ticking watch. Listen, Linda. Guide us and make us humble to listen and follow you, even when we don't want to do it. We ask this in your name. Amen.